0: if it's your first time to Vespers, we are in a series called Stranger Things, where we're learning from the book of First Peter and the author Peter about how to live as strangers in this world. And so last week, John, one of our elders, came and spoke, and he talked about how um, Peter encourages the people that he was writing to and also encourages us that we are a part of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And so we're not a part of this nation, this is not where we find our full identity. We find it in being a part of a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Um, And that's why we're strangers here as we walk this earth. So tonight we're going to be in chapter 2, continuing on in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're only going to be in a few verses Tonight. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. So I thought these two verses are super important. So this is where we're gonna camp out. But I want us to first notice here how Peter talks about sin. He talks about sin As war, right? Sin wages war on our soul. And war is not something to be taken lightly, right? Rex, is war something to be taken lightly? He's a veteran, so he can speak to that. Um, So war is something that is serious, right? It's something that takes discipline and training to be a part of. Um, It's something that we don't tread lightly, and Peter's not talking about sin as this peaceful little easy thing that we have to confront. He's like, no, sin is going to wage war on our souls. So how do we be disciplined and get ready for war? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. But before we talk about sin, which I know can be a little bit of a heavy topic, I figured we should do something fun to lighten the mood. So can I get two volunteers? It's fun. Dylan, One other? Nathan? Okay, okay, we got two volunteers. So y'all come up to the stage. So I need y'all to come up here, and we're going to do something a little competitive. Do we have the... So we're going to do the impossible shot. Y'all can come over here. You don't have to be scared. Um, Sam, can I get you to go stand up there for me? Um, So this is something that our high school and middle schoolers do every Sunday morning. So if you think this is really fun, you should go volunteer in our student ministry. They would love to have extra volunteers. But we're going to do it tonight in college ministry. So Dylan. So the goal here, so you got to put the little the hook in here oh, I see it. and I then see you it. pull it back with this thingy. Way. Okay, so don't shoot it yet. So the goal is to hit that bright green, the middle of the target back there, okay. If you don't, you get one try, don't do it yet, don't do it yet. You get one try to do the impossible shot. If you hit that center spot, then you get a $50 Amazon gift card. The center, so you, yeah, you gotta hit the center. You have to hit the impossible shot. So you gonna go first? I'll
1: go first, yeah. All
0: right, let's see it. Y'all think he can do it? (laughs) Sam, don't help him. (laughs) Oh. It's pretty hard. All right, Nathan, you think you got any better?
2: Maybe, maybe,
0: maybe. I want to see a girl try. Can I get a girl up here? Allie. Oh, that was pretty close. That was pretty close. Sam, can you throw us one more arrow down? Oh, gosh. All right, Allie, let's see what you got. Okay. So you got a hook, put the little hooks in and then hold this part. Like, hold, don't hold that part. Hold this part. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Don't hit anybody. Oh, that was a good shot. Good shot. Okay. So it is impossible. It's pretty hard. If you want to try after Vespers, we'll leave it up here and you can try. Um, thank you guys. Way to go. Sorry, no Amazon gift cards tonight. So, now that we've lightened the mood a little bit, let's talk about sin. What is sin? We're gonna have to be really interactive tonight. What is sin? Someone, some people shout out some answers. Missing the mark, Missing the mark. you got it right away. You ruined my, and it's okay, no, you did great. So the reason we did the impossible shot is because I want us to remember that when we think about sin, we should think about it as sin is missing the mark, okay? So when when they shot at that impossible shot, they what? They miss the mark, right? So sin is missing the mark. It's a failure to miss the goal. Okay, so then... If we're going to understand sin, and if it's a failure to miss the goal or to miss the mark, then we need to know what the mark is, right? What's the goal? Like the goal up here was to hit the center of that target. What's our goal? To be like Jesus? Yeah. What else? That's a great one. Live a life, again. Live a life reflecting Jesus? Yeah. What else? What does Jesus tell us to do? Love your neighbor, yeah. Love people and love God. God. Yeah, there you go. It should sound really familiar. We say it here a lot at Vista, right? Love God and love people. So that is the goal that Jesus gives us, right? So if we understand the goal, the mark that we're trying to reach, then we're going to It's way more helpful, right, when we think about the conversation of sin. So sin is a failure to love God and to love people. Sin is missing the goal of God's goodness. So when we think about decisions that we're making, we have to ask ourselves, are we desiring, so Peter uses this word desire here, are we desiring good? Are we desiring what God declares as good for us, are we desiring things that are evil? And what's evil? What what does evil mean? Anyone? Grant? (laughs) They were pointing at you. I thought you had the answer. So evil... Sorry to put you on the spot. Evil is a lack of good, right? Evil is a lack of good. So are we desiring things that are good? Are we desiring things that are evil? Evil is good that has been twisted, okay? It's being twisted to miss the mark. So I wanna use an example. Um, Do we have any uh, Lord of the Rings fans in the room? A few, okay. Anybody watching the new show? No one? Yes, Some people, okay. Maybe y'all are all too busy doing homework. I'm not watching the new show either. And I hope I don't butcher this because I've only watched Lord of the Rings like once. But I'm stealing this from my professor because she used this example talking about sin and I thought it was super helpful. But we have, I wanna get this picture, this very low quality picture, okay? So this is Schmiegel, right? Cutter, did I say his name right? Smeagol. Oh, thank you. This is Smeagol. And then this is, who's this? Gollum. Yeah. So what happens here, if you've seen the movie, and sorry if I spoil it, but it's really old, so it's your fault for not watching it. Um, Smeagol is out fishing with a friend, right? And then his friend finds this ring. And then Smeagol sees the ring, and he desires it. He wants that ring. He desires it so much to the point that he murders his friend. Okay? And he takes this ring, and he desires the ring. What does he call it? His precious, right? And what happens to him over time is because of this twisted desire, he becomes less and less human. He turns into that really... Freaky thing, okay? So that that's kind of a picture of what sin does to our lives. Okay? So I want us to think about this. If you were in our Genesis series, we talked about this, but a lot of the times we blame our sinfulness on our humanity, right? Who've ever said, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm only human, or I messed up because I'm human? Like, have you made that excuse before, right? That's a pretty normal thing. But what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? Abby? To be created in God's image. Yeah, so when we blame our humanity on our sinfulness, do y'all see where that is a mistake, right? Because being made human is being made in the image of God and that's a really good thing. And so when we act on our sinful desires, that twists us further and further away from being a flourishing human made in the image of God. It puts more and more distance away from our relationship from God. So I I also want us to think like, have you ever seen a picture, a mugshot of a criminal, someone who's done something like really, really bad and you can just see in their picture that their eyes are lifeless. Like they have done things over and over again to twist them further and further away that they don't value human life anymore. And that, that is sin, right? Twisting us further and further away. So taking these desires that are sinful and twisting us further and further away from God. And when we act on these sinful desires, it makes us the sinner of our lives right when God should be the center of our lives and we should trust that what God says is good is better than what we say is good. So I want to talk about a practical example of abstaining from sinful desires that Peter might have been referring to um, because it was a very common sinful desire that they had in their culture. And that's the example of sex, okay? So we're gonna talk about sex tonight. So get excited. Um, (laughs) So this was a fleshly desire that they very much struggled with. And I think that it's something that we we think that our generation is the most sexualized generation. And that's not true. Like Roman culture was very messed up in their sexual morals. Um, My Grammy says all the time, like, oh, our generation is so messed up. And I'm like, Grammy, no, it's it's been messed up for a really, really, really long time. And so Peter was writing to these people. He probably had a lot of sinful desires in mind, but this was a huge one that they struggle with. And I think, I mean, I remember what it's like to be in college, and this is something that we are trying to figure out, and there's temptation everywhere, right? So I think it's really important for us to talk about it. And it's a perfect example. So let's talk about what the goal is for sex. What's the goal for sex? Babies, yes. And, it, and so the goal for sex, that God's design for sex, why he, did, he created it, was it to be between a husband and wife and marriage, right? That is the biblical design of sex. And so when we take sex as anything else from that design, we're twisting it. You see, we're twisting it. We're taking our own desires and twisting it away from God's design. We're missing the mark. It's sin, right? Like porn or masturbation or one night stands, trying out sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend to see if you're compatible. Um, Sex inspired by lust. These are all missing the mark for God's design of sex. It's taking a desire that's really good, like we are all made as sexual beings. Our desire to want that relationship is good. God created it. I think that's one mistake that Christians make all the time, that we think sex is bad, bad, bad. And then when Christians get into marriages, they're like, it's hard to make that shift. So we need to understand that God created sex to be good. But when we take our own desires and we twist it and the enemy tries to twist it, it's taking it out of God's design. We're missing the mark, right? I mean, it, it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the people that you're relating to. I mean, there's so many different studies and research that shows how harmful it is. Um, So a few examples is one, like if, if you're watching porn, for example, it makes you objectify other people, right? And we're supposed to, what's the goal? One of the goals is to love our neighbors, right? And so if we're objectifying people, is that loving our neighbor? No, right? Um, Sex is also designed, when we have sex with another person, it's designed to bond us to that person. It's why it's supposed to happen in marriage. It's supposed to bond us to someone else. And when we have sex casually outside of marriage, it takes away that ability to bond you. It rewires things in your brain, and it makes it not as bonding when you do get married. I've heard an analogy before, I think it was by Ben Stewart maybe, but he talks about it like duct tape. And the first time you put on duct tape, if I were to put a piece of duct tape on my arm right now, I thought about actually doing it, but then I was like, it's not worth it. When you rip it off for the first time, it's painful, right? Because it's really sticky, and it, it has this bonding ability. Well, the more you rip it off, the less sticky it gets until it's not able to bond anymore. Does that make sense? Um, I also think something that's important to realize is when we are participating in things um, in sexual activity that God didn't design, we often have shame arise, right? Like, I've been there, it's a big part of my story. And you have these shameful feelings, and then If you're, so for example, if you are having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you, even if you know you want to marry that person, if y'all have shame now, and then when you get married, even after your wedding night, and you're okay to have sex as much as you want, whenever you want, do you think those feelings of shame are just going to go away like that? Like shame continues on. And there is redemption that happens when you've had sex before you're married. Don't hear me say that at all, but it's something that you have to work through because we have taken a desire that is meant to be good, and we've twisted it. We've twisted it. So you see how that, that's a, a really good example. Um, if we give in to our desires... If I gave in to my desire to eat ice cream, for example, whenever I want, uh, that wouldn't be good for me, right? Like, I would be very unhealthy, I would probably have sicknesses later on, so I can't give in to my desires whenever I want. Just because I have a desire doesn't mean that I should do it. So I don't say any of this to shame anyone because if you know my story and if you wanna sit down and talk about my story, I've, I've been there. I've had personal disorders with um, sexual desires that I have twisted in a way that God didn't design for sex. I struggled with missing the mark. And beyond the example of sex, I miss the mark every single day. Like we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God every single day. And so I'm not standing up here as someone who has my life all together and it's perfect and has done great in all these areas. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this because I want to encourage you guys to to live out of God's goodness for us. That we are, are supposed to be flourishing human beings, and we should want to want what God says is good, right? We should want our desires to be good. We should want our desires to be pointed towards the mark. Like, what's the song that we just sang? The last song, what did it say? There's nothing better than you. We sang that over and over again. God, there's nothing better than you. And do we truly believe that? Do our desires, even though we are gonna have simple, sinful desires, we're gonna have them all the time, but are we willing to say, I'm gonna abstain from those things? Because I desire God and I know God is better than anything else. So we're gonna skip to first Peter two, twenty-two, or starting in twenty-one. It says for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving an example for you so Christ is our example right for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being revealed he did not revile while being reviled he did not revile any in return while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin so hear that so we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed so peter is reminding these people who are struggling with these fleshly these sinful twisted desires and he's reminding them that By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We sang in that song too that Jesus turns our shame into glory, right? Like we don't have to sit in our shame, we don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Through the power of Jesus, we can abstain from our sinful desires. And through the power of Jesus, he can wash any part of your story white as snow. He can heal any of your wounds and your brokenness. So we're going to do our table discussion now. And our first question is, where are you giving in to twisted desires? And then what's the Think about what's the root of sinful desire? What's the root of that sinful desire? So David brought up a good point in our meeting on Sunday that we have to realize what the root is, right? Um, I think one example for me is I always, in high school and college, desired to be in a relationship with a guy. I always wanted to be in a relationship. I always had to be talking to someone. And when I think about that, being in a relationship is a good desire, right? Like, we're made to be in relationships. Marriage is a good thing. But that desire became an idol in my life. It became twisted. It became a distraction. And the root of that was I had no self-worth. I didn't think I deserved to be in a good and healthy relationship. So I just took any relationship I could get to try and fill that void. So so does that make sense? And then how can you turn that twisted desire into something good? So how can you realize, hey, what is this twisted desire I have, and what's the better desire that I should be pursuing? So I know those are pretty deep, but y'all discuss, and then we'll keep talking. Are y'all ready? All right. Anyone want to share? I think especially focusing on this last question here, how can you turn a twisted desire into something good is a way to be encouraging to each other as well. Anybody? You can sit. Sorry, my earrings
2: are annoying. Um, I decided to share because a lot of people in my group just said we're all struggling with, or we have. But um, I have struggled with the same thing you have. I have been struggling with porn and masturbation uh, for a really long time, actually. And the root of that is trying to find my worth, Mm -hmm. trying to find something that makes me feel better when I'm upset. Yeah. When I really was struggling with my relationship with God. Yeah. But – Kind of like the song "Graves in the Gardens" it's turned my shame into glory." Yeah. And so, when I have those thoughts or desires, I try and do everything I can to just not go into that mindset of yeah. now I have to do this because it's gonna make you feel better. Yeah. So
0: thank you for being brave and sharing. I know that's hard know. to share,
2: but yeah, I have like I have boundaries I set to make sure that I don't go to that. Place yeah
0: yeah it's super important to have accountability and boundaries and yeah and realizing like okay how can I flee from this and I know this is something that's not good for me um and run to God yeah that's awesome thanks for sharing I think also just sorry real quick um with my my testimony in that too like being willing to share your story like that is taking something that is so shameful and culture tells us that we aren't supposed to talk about, especially as girls, right? Um, That it is something that can bring so much glory to God when we are willing to confess that. And then other people are like, hey, yeah, I struggle with that too. And I want freedom from that as well. So proud of you. Oh,. Okay.
2: Um,
0: our group talked about mainly the roots of sinful desire, and we talked about um, like fear of missing out or not like being looked at as not as cool and just like wanting to fit in,
1: like especially as girls, like, it's kind of to another level with that. because yeah. if
3: you don't participate in something.
1: like personally, like I lost a lot of friends doing that, so yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's a good desire, right? To want to have friendships and want to be loved. But how quickly we twist that, you know, to do anything we can. That's awesome.
3: So uh, I would say for me personally, like kind of going off of that, it was like um, I used to live up north in Washington. And a big part of the community there was a lot of drug and uh, alcohol related things. So I found myself like always in the middle of that for years and um, that was a really hard struggle for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but like finding a way to like kind of pull myself out of that and like trying to instead of um, focusing on just trying to be a part of community any way I can and like sacrificing my morals at the end of the day, um, I found that like trying to f- surround myself with people who are like, like-minded like like me regardless mm-hmm. of like who they are or what what they are or anything like that really helped me out in a way. Yeah. Um, I think like going off to like the second part of it or the third part I think is like twi- like trying to make that in a good way. Um, I've tried to stay in touch with like a lot of those people I did hang out with, but like try to keep myself out of those things that are like harmful to me like physically in a way. Yeah. Um, but like try to keep in touch with them and try to um, in a way like pull them out like I got pulled out. So yeah. That's what I did in the end.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And welcome to Texas. (laughs) It is hot. Anyone else? We have time for one more? If anybody wants to share.
1: Okay, there we go. So I feel like personally for me, For the last question, how can you turn a twisted desire into something good, Um, I kind of shared this with my table. My freshman year, um, I got broken up with with, like, my high school boyfriend, and I thought I was going to marry him and all that. And um, when that happened, I kind of, for about five or six months, just turned away from the Lord. And I started drinking, and I started giving any boy an attention who gave me attention back and just turning into all of the worldly desires. And at the same time, I pushed myself away from all the people that would encourage me to do what godly or what god would want me to do Mm -hmm. and because of that um I ended up losing my virginity and I started being drunk all the time and I was just not in a good place and then I started to feel really empty hold on I'm talking really fast (laughs) um and so I realized okay like why do I feel so empty and I was like okay I literally pushed everything away from me that was good and this is why my life is the way it is right now um, and then I kind of uh, pulled myself out, um, and I started to come to Vista more and actually talk to Sydney more than just surface-level um, questions and stuff like that. And um, I found good friends and everything like that. Um, and honestly, with uh, when it comes to, like, sexual temptation, I started actually sharing and talking to people and realizing, oh, like, you struggle with that, too? Cool. And, um, I mean, not cool, but. <laughs> we know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Um, being a Christian and losing your virginity—that um, was just a really hard topic, and I feel like now um, I'm really vulnerable with that. And I will like have a conversation with anyone who wants to come have a conversation. And like just because I have lost my virginity and I'm obviously not married, like God still forgave uh, forgave me, and um, I'm still choosing to be um, pure now. And I want to be pure with whoever my husband will be at that point. Um, so sharing that and being as honest and vulnerable as I can with others and, like, inspiring them, like, hey, you're going to be okay. Like, just because you had sex before marriage does not mean you're going to hell. Yeah. So, because um, I mean, like, that's what, uh, purity culture will say about that. Um, and so I feel like I can twist, um, simple desire and sexual temptation in a godly way and share, like, there is still good, um, left for you. Yeah, that's incredible.
0: I think that's a huge testament to, to Hey, we're we're all gonna have sinful desires, right? Like, that's normal because we li- live in a sinful, broken world. But we can't just stay there, right? That's that's where the mistakes happen. Um, that's that's where we aren't um, living as strangers, right? When we just sit in our sin and we're okay with it. Uh, so that's what Peter is encouraging these people. To do, and I, I also just want to—I I didn't even plan to say this—but remind you that um, in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, in Psalm 139, uh, it's the psalmist is talking about even in the depths, you were there. He's talking about God that even in the darkest places, you were there. And so, if you are in a dark place right now, that doesn't mean that God has given up on you. His presence is still with you, and he wants to draw you back, okay? So I just, I don't want y'all to hear that. If you are in a place where you've just given over to sin, that God is still pursuing you. God is still there. So let's let's move on um, to the, the last part of our text. And I want to think about this question for a second, Um is sin, our sinful desires, the things that we've all just talked about that we struggle with, is that something that is just on us? Is it something that should be really individualistic um, and it's between us and God? Because I think that that's often the narrative that we convince ourselves, right? That I can do whatever I want and I know maybe even if this is um, a wrong desire and I'm acting out of my sinful desires and it's of the flesh, God's going to hold me accountable, but that's up to me and God. Like, no one else should say anything about it, and it doesn't matter to anybody else. And I think that's something we fall into. But what what does Peter say here? Let's reread verse 12. So he's saying, as strangers, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? Not just because he we're supposed to have a good relationship, a right relationship with God and live as flourishing humans as how God created us. That's one good reason, right? But so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of salvation. So is our sin something that, is just an individualistic thing or does it matter when people see us choosing to live in our sinful desires over and over again, is that gonna make a missional impact, right? Because as strangers here, God has us on this earth for a reason, right? Like we are supposed to live here. What did did John challenge us last week that we are all what? I'm not just a pastor, right? You all are pastors. We are all here to draw people to Jesus, to create spaces that help people encounter the good news of Jesus, right? And so if we continue to live a life that is just marked by sin, and people see us doing things that don't look different than the rest of the world, what does that say to the world? It doesn't say that we're different at all, right? So we have to think about our actions. What we do matters if we want to draw people to Jesus. People are watching you, whether you realize it or not. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, people are watching you they're observing your life. And they're like, hmm, is this person really different? Is this person living up to who they say they are? Um, one theologian that I was reading this week says it, it needs to be recognized more widely that many pagans, so he's talking about the early Christians, many pagans re- converted to Christianity because they found in the Christian groups moral standards that they recognized already as profoundly important for human welfare. So what he's saying here is that people need to realize that the fact that Christians in the early church decided to live these lives that were radically different and not given to society standards and secular um, ways of living just by how they live, like even before even words came out of their mouth sharing the good news of Jesus, it caught their attention. Something caught their attention about their lives, the way that they're willing to be different. And they realized, hey, these people are choosing to live a life that, that is really good for them. And they knew that their lifestyles were probably better for them as a whole. And this drew them in. And they wanted to learn more about Christianity. That happened in the early church and that happens now, right? People dr- not driven by their passions are a lot of the time considered wise. Right? Like, think about a kid. If a kid wants a piece of candy, what does he do? He throws a fit, right, until he gets the candy. He's going to keep crying and screaming until he gets the candy. I've seen this happen with the staff kids, especially Luke Lackey, over and over again in our offices. But as you mature and as you become an adult, you might have a desire for the candy, right? But if you don't get the candy, you know your life isn't gonna be over, right? So our ability to not be controlled by our desires is a mark of wisdom. What's what's the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about here? Self-control, right? Yeah, so, The fruit of the Spirit, something that is overflowing inside of us because we have the Spirit moving in us, one of those things is self-control. That's something we should desire in our lives. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says this. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Peter's taking what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that good works is what saves you. Don't hear me say that. But he's saying your good works help other people glorify God. And so we should want to do good, right? We should want to pursue good things so that other people can glorify God. Other people can experience his love and his goodness. And so our next question to talk about is, is your life marked by good deeds? When people observe your life, will it lead them to glorify God? Um, And then maybe if you want to share a story of someone in your life that you've noticed their good deeds and how that's challenged you to glorify God. So you don't have to answer all these questions. We only have a few minutes left, but y'all can talk about it all right we're gonna wrap up so I just I want to encourage you guys tonight that as you go back into your spaces wherever that is for you whether you go to school at Temple College or UMHB or you're working right now go back into your spaces and realize that you have responsibility and that you can be a light right and you want people who know that you're a christian that you're a christian to not think that you're just like the rest of the world to see that there's something different about you and want to ask more about why you live this way right i mean i know um people from umhb for example who have graduated and left with a really really bad taste in their mouth to christianity because they were around all these people who claim to be christians but we're really mean and hurtful and giving in to their desires left and right. And so I really wanna challenge us as we grow in this space to be people who are willing to notice, where do we have disordered desires? And how can we, um, t- how can we get those desires to be back on track for the goal that is to love God and love people? So let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a good God. We're thankful that you love us dearly despite the fact that we make mistakes over and over again. I'm thankful that there is nothing that I can do and nothing that anyone in this room can do that can separate us from your love. But God, we admit that we are sinners, that we miss the mark over and over again. So I just pray that your spirit, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would stir in us and help us to realize maybe even ways that we didn't identify as we were talking in our tables or maybe in ways that we were scared to even admit to that we have disordered desires, God. And I pray that we would be able to confess that to you and confess it to one of our friends. And God, I pray that through the people in this room that we would be a light, that people would see that we love you so much that they would want to glorify you too. So God, I'm thankful for everyone here. I'm thankful for their willingness to give up a Wednesday night to draw closer to you and spend time resting and and learning about you. We're thankful for your word And for Peter, writing this awesome letter, we love you and answer your name. Amen.